0: Really? Mm-hmm. Welcome to Chatting with Sherry. Today we welcome back author and screenwriter Brooks Wachtel. He's a good friend of the show and we have a lot of wonderful things to chat about. Here's Brooks. Hi Brooks. Welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you Sherry. It's always a pleasure to be here.
0: How are you doing?
1: Reasonably copacetic. Working away a uh... Uh, working on the new book. It's nearly done. Maybe we can talk about that later. Um, Ventured out to Costco for the first time since the pandemic. (laughs) Been vaccinated, so actually getting out a
0: little more in the world
1: because I was pretty much a recluse.
0: Yeah. Even though I I, I have been vaccinated, I haven't been out that much. Um, I just am more vulnerable lately, and I, I... I, I just stay at my apartment complex.
1: <laughs> well, I I got my booster a week ago Friday, knocked me out for a day and a half. But glad I got I got the flu shot at the same time, so may as well get it all all at once.
0: Oh, you got a combo. Ooh, that's a lot.
1: Yes, well, uh, I did have a reaction. My body said, "You know what? You're going to take the next couple of days off." And I did.
0: Yeah, it's always best to
1: listen to it. I was just fortunately I I was just better on Halloween, and got out. And um, one of my best friends we met fifty five years ago at a Halloween party, so we decided to get together at the Smokehouse in Burbank and celebrate fifty five years of her putting up with me.
0: <laughs> that was nice of her. <laughs>
1: And for those who've never been to the Smokehouse in Burbank, if you ever go, be sure you get the cheese bread.
0: Oh, I love the Smokehouse. That's where I went for my 45th birthday.
1: It, it is a fantastic place, and we we hope it stays and stays and stays. Yep, that was one
0: yeah. of the. We, that's that that was the first place we went after my dad died, and it was for my birthday.
1: There's not many of those big red booth-type restaurants left around here, so we're, we're grateful for it.
0: Yay. But anyway,
1: been getting out a little more and seeing the changes in the world.
0: I haven't seen. Has there been changes?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, all kinds of changes.
0: Um, I mean, actually, physical, in L.A., has there been a lot of changes? I mean, everybody's been sort of not working, so what kind of changes is there?
1: Well, for not working, like I got to say, I drive down the street and buildings I used to know are gone and new ones are in their place or vacant lots and lots of businesses that I used to go to are not there anymore. Um, so, yeah, a lot of changes. <laughs>
0: every, yeah, that's a true. Couple, it's been
1: horrible. A friend of mine had a flower shop on the Sunset Strip. The building had been there since the 20s, they'd been in it since the 50s. Now it's a vacant lot.
0: Well, that's sad. You yeah, know, there's
1: that, unfortunately a lot of
0: that. That reminds me, my favorite theater in L.A. was the Schubert in... um in, Century City? Yeah, Century City. When they knocked that down, it just tore me to tiny little pieces.
1: Yeah, that, that whole complex got... I, I've been to many, many stage shows and movies in the various theaters in that complex, and Miss it very much. Century City is a lot less interesting. But I find L.A., you know, a lot of the things that I loved or made it fun get ripped down and something boring gets put in its place. I, I guess suppose that's what they call progress. Yeah,
0: isn't it, it it's the, like a like a parking lot, one of those like five-structure parking lots that they put up instead of the beautiful theater and the movie complex and all that stuff and the restaurant? Okay, theater that matter.
1: Either that or just office buildings. I'm, I'm not sure which. It's been a while since I've been there because I haven't been out that much.
0: Yeah. I, I just... Yeah, I, 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 that really broke my heart. That's That was such a beautiful theater. Really incomparable. And it just... I That they knocked that down is... That, that's a crime.
1: Well, we're hoping that the Cinerama Dome will be saved.
0: Yeah. I know that they're trying.
1: And not only save, but, you know, that is one of only two or at most three theaters left in the world that can actually run Cinerama.
0: I know, I know. And I think it's and, really, it, that's an historical thing, and that's really one of the reasons it'd be saved.
1: Yep, well, and and of course it's a beautiful, beautiful theater. Yeah. And, um, and yes, I, I've gone to many of the Cinerama screenings where, be, you know the, the projectionists are all pretty ancient now But hopefully If there's still a venue They can pass the skills on to younger people So we can enjoy this process Because you know it takes like seven people To run a Cinerama movie There's three projectors Another guy doing the sound Another guy that just keeps the three projectors aligned it, It's it's quite a production to run one of these things
0: The first movie I think I saw there Was one of the Zaps Entertainments so a lot of dancing and singing.
1: Yeah, not a Cinerama movie, but yes, it's a beautiful theater to see anything in. I mean, oddly enough, uh, when the theater opened with It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, the Cinerama process was already not being used. It didn't get equipped to actually run the three-panel Cinerama process until the early 2000s when they renovated the theater.
0: Yeah, I never. I don't think I've ever seen... I, I saw a lot of movies there. But I don't think I ever saw a Cinerama... The only place I ever saw a Cinerama movie was in Disneyland.
1: That was Circle Vision, not Cinerama.
0: But sort of the same thing, isn't it?
1: Um, yes and no. It, it's the same thing in the sense that it connected screens. Circle Vision, <laughs> you, you were in the middle. Uh, Cinerama, which, which came out in the early 1950s, was the first widescreen process. And it was three 35 millimeter frames that were a little taller than the usual negative, linked together with a very wide angle lens. And the idea was to emulate the human field of vision. So it had a very unique look. Everything was in sharp focus from the foreground to infinity. So television came in, movie attendance dropped and there were these Cinerama theaters. Now there were only about, I think 40 of them in the country and they were showing travelogues, but they were outgrossing just about everything Hollywood was doing. So Hollywood was trying to figure out, how can we get in on this? Well, we don't want to have to build special theaters and Cinerama is very difficult to use. What can we do? And 20th Century Fox had a process that they had bought, I think in the 30s um, to photograph stage shows at one of their theaters, which was an anamorphic process. They got it from France. And what that did was it squeezed the image and then when you projected it, it unsqueezed it, so the shape was a big rectangle. And you could do this with a regular camera. And the theaters had to just put in a special lens and widen the screen. It wasn't an extent of the renovation as Cinerama with three projectors. So they broke this out and they rechristened it Cinemascope. And the first film that they released was The Robe. Uh, they filmed Gentlemen Prefer, I think Gentlemen Prefer Blondes or How to Marry a Millionaire and The Robe. And they released the robe first in Cinemascope. And that started, that and Cinerama started the widescreen race in Hollywood with this division and uh, all of the other widescreen processes that changed the shape of movie screens from the square it had been forever to the widescreen process we have today.
0: And now we have like the little little frame thing that they put in the middle so you can see whatever shape it is.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, we, we now have widescreen Panavision. 185 to 1 is the current aspect ratio, at least in film, and that's similar to TV. And they basically just masked off a 35 millimeter negative, which wasn't the greatest image. I mean, we're going back to film when things were actually shot on film. And Cinerama, which started the process, uh, made a deal with MGM to film narrative films, fiction films. And they shot How the West Was Won in the Wonderful World of the Brothers Grimm. But the process was so expensive and so difficult to use that even though the results were spectacular, they decided to finish up the contract just using uh, uh, rectified 70 millimeter movies that would be rectified, not to distort on the curved screen that Cinerama had. And the dome opened up with It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, which was shot 70 millimeter and projected in Cinerama. And that was the rest of the Cinerama movies.
0: I love that movie. I think every comedian that ever was at the period was in that film. And since oh, there, there were
1: there were a few that they couldn't get or just weren't available, but they sure got a lot of them.
0: Mhm. Yeah. I mean I actually until there was like a retrospective about that movie, I guess it was one of the anniversaries. I didn't know Jerry Lewis was in it until they pointed it out to you in that anniversary special. I was like, oh, my God, because it's, like, so fast. You don't, he he just whizzes by. And you don't really. most, Most of them do. Yeah. But I didn't even know he was in it until they showed that.
1: Yeah, he's in it. I mean, there were a few that could Bob Hope didn't make it in it. I think they wanted to try to get Bob Hope, but he wasn't available. Lucille Ball wasn't in it, and I'm sure they would love to have had her. Um, and uh, Stan Laurel didn't want to work without his partner, uh, Hardy, who had passed away.
0: That's that's so wow. sweet, you know, in a way. I mean, it's really heartbreaking, but it's so sweet that he wanted him to be with him that's just that that was a partnership that really worked
1: yes they they were they were both funny they were both brilliant and and looking at their films today is still they're they're still wonderfully funny they hold up both the silent and the sound they were they were some of the few people who made that transition from silent to sound so seamlessly their voices just perfectly fit their personas
0: and Oliver Hardy did some incredible movies by himself too. I mean, not by himself, but yes. away from Laurel.
1: Mm-hmm. I think The Fighting Kentuckian. Um, yeah, he, he. Well, he was a wonderful actor. And, he was. Uh, they both. They, they both had some fairly substantial careers before they teamed up. Though they, they weren't stars, but they, they were certainly working a lot. But once they teamed up, it became magic.
0: Yeah. They just had this real sparkle. It was really sweet. I it was they were almost like brothers from another mother.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They 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 really were, and and um, it's unusual for a comedy team for both characters to be funny. One just not be a straight man. I mean, as opposed to say uh, uh, Abbott and Costello. Where Costello did all the, the, I mean Abbott was the straight man who kept the pace and everything going, and Costello was the comedian. But Laurel and Hardy, they were both equally funny.
0: Oh yeah, the yeah. way they
1: played off of each other.
0: They were they were just it was they were so talented. Um, I just I I always liked watching uh, them. On, they used to have them when I was a kid, like on Saturday morning after our cartoons. And so we'd go watch cartoons all day and then we'd watch Laurel of Hardy movies.
1: <laughs> Bringing back those old shorts really springboarded the careers of, of you know, several people. The Three Stooges got a tremendous boost when their shorts started running in theaters and on television. I mean, they, they were pretty much in decline and then this happened and they were suddenly on top of the heap again.
0: Yeah, I actually knew... When I went to school, her my one of my friends' dads was one of the producers of um, of <laughs> you just said it my brain um, the, the three Stooges. Stooges the three Stooges and uh, he, um, we were at a theater competition and her parents brought us and he would tell us stories about them and how they the brothers especially used to fight a lot. <laughs>
1: Well, they they, um, they certainly had this career boost, and they got into features, which they'd never—they always wanted to do—but Columbia would never let them. They just kept them in shorts and underpaying them. And finally, they had the clout to do features, and which—which which I believe they kept doing until they were too old, and some of them had passed away and or had strokes. But they kept going. They were working almost right till the end, I think. I think their first features; they were already in their sixties,
0: or actually, near that. You don't notice that when you're a kid, but when you see them as an adult, you see that they're older. You can see it.
1: Yeah, and and the comedies a little more a little more subdued. The physicality, which they, they they actually commented on in some of their later films. We don't do that anymore.
0: Well, actually, I think but, in a way that's good. Um, <laughs>
1: Yeah, t- t- television. Television just changed, you know, a lot of things. Also, um, th- there were radio shows and and low budget film series that eventually migrated as television series. Um,
0: mm-hmm. My favorite husband. I think
1: Hopalong. Hopalong Cassidy was one. I think. It's been done a series of low budget westerns. Eventually started doing television series.
0: Yep, and my so, favorite husband it, was became I Love Lucy
1: hmm Yes, yes. It became I Love Lucy, which really springboarded sitcoms and 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 found the way to shoot them.
0: hmm Thank you, Desi with, Arnaz. Uh, <laughs> and Carl Frank. And Carl Frank. They were partners. Carl was a great.
1: Yeah, the, the great German director of photography who photographed Dracula and Metropolis and directed the Mummy and and you know, was known for his shadowy, low-key, moody lighting, ended up revolutionizing television by figuring out how to do very flat lighting so they could do three cameras simultaneously. Since you can't light moodily for more than one angle, but if you light flat, you can shoot from any angle.
0: I thought it was, um, I was watching um, a retrospective, I can't remember which one of Lucy, and one of the things I thought was interesting was the reason the warm-up is there is because Desi... It was a new form of uh, sitcom. So Desi did the warm-up to explain what they were doing. And that's how come mm-hmm. they have the warm-up. And they still do.
1: <laughs> yep, they still they still do warm-ups. And thank goodness, because it keeps some some comedians still employed.
0: Yep, yep. I just... I I thought that was really interesting, um, and the introduction of the actors and all that—that that was all Desi's idea.
1: <laughs> and and uh, a lot, many of the other many other shows came out of radio and my grand—not just not just sitcoms. I think Dragnet had started as a radio show. Yep. And 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 then became a uh, and even candid camera originally was candid microphone.
0: Really, that I didn't know.
1: Yeah, it was it was originally canned microphone on radio, and of course, canned camera probably offered a more possibilities when you can add the visual.
0: Well, and also the, some of the greats like Jack Benny and George Burns and Gracie Allen.
1: Yes, very much so. Spe- Jack Benny worked especially well when transferred to television, and of course, so did Gracie Allen and, and George Burns, and and they were friends and appeared on each other's shows. But uh, Jack Benny. Was a natural.
0: Jack was so funny. I I I I just he when you watch him, he's seamless. You he, you don't you can't tell he's doing. He he gets you laughing before you realize why.
1: Part of it, I mean I mean th- I I think there's a couple of things that make Jack Benny so remarkable. One is lack of ego. He didn't care if he got all the laughs. Mm-hmm. He just wanted the show to be funny on the philosophy that the audience would remember it was funny and they had a good time. So he didn't mind giving a lot of laughs to his support cast.
0: Yeah, I, and the
1: other Bob Hope go ahead. too.
0: I was gonna say Bob Hope too. Bob yes, Pope Bob Hope too would, would always like um, if it was a guest star or one of his regular players no no this is for them this is more for them than me or you know this is a Rochester line or this is a uh, Phil line. Uh, he would right. he just give his lines away you know for Jack Benny and and Bob Hope did the same thing with his group.
1: It, well, I, th- th- I think go ahead I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt.
0: No I just I, I was mixing people up but I'm just saying both shows they did that. <laughs>
1: One thing that Jack Benny had going for him so brilliantly was the fact that he had this very well-defined comedic persona that offered so many options for jokes. And so you had things that were just hysterical with with, uh, Jack Benny that would never have worked with any other comedian because you had all this background of Jack Benny. The most famous example, when he's walking home and the crook comes out and goes, your money or your life?
0: I'm thinking it over. Only, I'm thinking
1: it over. <laughs> after, after, you know, 30 seconds of dead air time. Well, the only reason that works is because we know Jack Benny's persona. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it wouldn't, wouldn't have worked with anyone else. It would have just been a dead line. But with Jack Benny, because you know from all of these years and years what a cheapskate and tight he portrays, the line just clicks. And there's so much about that comic persona, the vainness. The age, the, I mean, there's so many things that you can work with, and his writers were, were brilliant. And there, there was one writer who, unfortunately, uh, he'd worked with for years and died of a heart attack just when he made this phenomenal deal to write the Jack Benny Show. And I, I can't remember the fellow's name, but he wrote the very first cheap joke Jack Benny ever did. Oh, wow. And it was when Jack was still on stage. You know, doing a monologue with the violin on, I guess, on, on vaudeville. And the joke Jack Benny said, Last Saturday night, I took my best girl out for dinner and told her I was going to pay. She was so shocked, she dropped her tray.
0: <laughs> yeah. I just And the thing is, that's really interesting that people don't realize is that. Vaudeville became radio, and then uh, then it became TV. I mean, there's a long history of these routines that, um, and, well, it was vaudeville, burlesque, radio, television. Mm-hmm. Cause, I, and a lot of stuff just switched full, like like Jack, uh, just went boom from each type of thing. I mean, it was new jokes and stuff like that, but. But it just, like, his thing about the safe that he had to go underground and stuff, that was in all of his routines. Going all oh, the, the way Benny back to, Yeah. That went all the way back to when he was on stage.
1: When he was on radio. Yeah.
0: And vaudeville, Yeah. And Vaudeville,
1: yes, yes. It's, it's, <laughs> and it's, again, this wonderful comic persona. I mean, I remember there's one episode where there's, like, a It's a tour bus at Beverly Hills that takes you to the Star's home. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those double-decker buses, so the top is open. And the bus goes by, and I'm going back a long way in memory here. The bus goes by all of Jack. You don't see Jack, but it goes by all of his cast members. So they each get their comic bit. And then but you don't see Jack Benny at all and then finally the bus the tour guy so and now we come to the house of Jack Benny and you hear from the back of the bus because it's a free bus wait this is my stop <laughs>
0: that sounds like Jack <clears throat> that sounds like him and again
1: and it works because we know Jack's character mm-hmm. and and it's very important I think in comedy when you're doing that kind of thing to take the time to craft and create a character with these easy characteristics that the audience can relate to and knows because it makes writing the comedy that much easier.
0: Did you note know that when Lucy went to radio, uh, Jess Oppenheimer said, I'm going to send you to school, and what he did was he sent her to the Jack Benny's radio show to teach her how to he do knows, radio acting?
1: <laughs> I mean, it was quite a training ground. I know we were talking about it's a mad, 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 mad world. And I think it was Mark Evanier that tells the story. Um, There's the scene in Mad, 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 Mad World where they're all talking for the first time in a group trying to figure out how to divvy up the money. Mm -hmm. They're by the side of the road, and they were shooting and shooting, and it wasn't working. And I think it was like Milton Berle and Sid Caesar, the guys who really knew how to do sketch comedy, said, you know, give us a couple hours to work this out and because they were such great sketch comedy masters they worked it out using that training and knowledge and that's how they shot the scene
0: that doesn't surprise me especially with Sid yeah I mean your show of shows
1: (laughs) many of them many of them also got their uh, start the Borscht Belt
0: that I've heard a lot about
1: Um, there, there were these summer resorts mm-hmm. up in, up in the, uh, on the East Coast. Mostly Jewish. A lot of them run by the garment industry and they put on shows and a lot of great talent came out of it. Uh, Danny Kaye. Uh,
0: Danny, Danny, Danny
1: Kay and Sylvia Fine got their a lot of their material worked out there.
0: And Danny Thomas. Uh,
1: Danny Thomas. They did a show which I think reached Broadway called Pins and Needles. A lot of people came out of that, including uh, Gene Barry, I believe.
0: Mm-hmm. There's, uh, yeah. Not
1: known as a song.
0: Gene Barry. Go ahead. Was, no, it's gonna say, um, a lot of people, like Gene Barry and Hal Linden, were like song and dance people. Nowadays, people only know them as regular actors in comedies and drama. But yeah, they were all song and uh, Charles Durning. He was a song and dance man too. <laughs>
1: Yes, which which we got to see, I think, in The last little, the Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Yep. He he has a scene-stealing number there.
0: I think, didn't he do it in To Be or Not To Be, too, with um, Mel Brooks?
1: Yes, he did Sig Grauman's part. Um, Concentration Camp Earhart. You know, that's a film, and I love Mel Brooks, but I, I just thought that was a miss for me compared to the Ernst Lubitsch original.
0: I love, I well, I have to admit, I love both, but for different reasons. I love the original, because it was that's the classic, that's the original. Beca- and Carol um, Lombard and, and Jack Benny were just so amazing in it. But I like the Mel Brooks one, too, because Mel and, and, you get to see Mel with Anne, and you never get to really see them work together. So that was really well,
1: cool. That, that's true. That's true. The origin, the original is one of my, my favorite films. The scenes between Jack Benny and, and Sig Roman are just a textbook of comedy timing. Yeah. It's a classic. But the, and the film the film is so brilliantly written, cast, directed, um, acted, it's it's and daring for its time.
0: It was during the war. It was during Say the it, it was during the war. I mean, that they really, yes. Lubitsch really took a chance; he could have gotten banned.
1: Yeah, well, we when they started it, we weren't in the war, but by the time it was released, we were in the war. But of course, the war had been going on in Europe, and he, I think, it was the first film to show the Nazis not as these horrible monsters, which they were, I and mean, he shows that aspect of them, but also shows them as idiots mm-hmm. that can be beat that can be beaten. You know, and makes fun of them. I, though the Three Stooges apparently did that a little earlier, and then, of course, at the same year, you had Chaplin's The Great Dictator.
0: Yeah, his great speech at the end. Yeah,
1: and and uh, you know, so you, you had a lot of that. And of course, one of the things that made it more possible to criticize them was the German market and the European market was now shut down, so the Hollywood the heads of the studios weren't worried about losing that market because it didn't exist because earlier films trying to criticize the Germans were not done very often because they didn't want to offend the German market.
0: That's true. It was a great movie. That was one of the, like you said, it's a classic. There's, you you can't really touch a classic. It's just, I mean, they make remakes and some of them are good. Some of them are not, but, um, but that one is just special. And it was Carol Lumbert's last One, movie,
1: too. Final, final film. One of the things I think that's such a good lesson for writers and directors and actors in To Be or Not To Be is, my maxim is that the best comedies are serious stories told funny. Mm-hmm. And if you take the plot of To Be or Not To Be, which is, um, you know, uh, a, 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 double, a double agent is coming to Warsaw with the names of the Warsaw Underground, and the these actors... Been warned, and they have to they have to stop him and get the information before it gets to the Germans.
0: And none of them have been now trained. Is, none of them have been trained. They none of them know what the hell they're doing. You no,
1: know, but if you look at that plot description, that's a serious movie. Mhm. And, and it's it's treated like a serious movie, except it's funny. Mhm. But the actual plot and the mechanics, you could take out all the comedy and do it as a serious film. Oh yeah. But. But it's done as a brilliant comedy and there's a lesson there because the best comedies, as I said, are serious stories told funny. Yeah, like
0: and, uh, and that like go we, ahead. No, I was gonna say like it was um my favorite year with Peter O'Toole. Um uh comedy's hard when when he's like talking about comedy when he was like first there at the your show shows type show. <laughs> Well, the
1: the classic Victorian quote, you know, dying is easy, comedy is hard. Uh
0: Uh-huh, that's it. I I couldn't think
1: Uh, of the whole thing, that's it. Yeah, it's, uh, comedy is hard and and doesn't often get the credit it deserves because it's very hard to make a great comedy. I'm talking about a really good comedy that'll, you know, support the test of time. Just using profanity or toilet humor will get a cheap laugh. But it may not be as funny in a few years, but films like To Be or Not To Be are as funny today as the day they came out, even if you don't get all the topical references. Laurel and Hardy are as funny as they were in the 1920s. Yep.
0: Jack Benny.
1: <laughs> Jack, and Jack Jack Benny is as well. Jack Benny, the pace is a little slower, but you get rewarded because the laughs are very real. And, and uh, Lucy, too. Lucille Ball. and and Lucy yep Uh, I mean (laughs) it hasn't been off the airway since it first premiered
0: yep oh that was the one I saw an interview with Desi Arnaz that actually told me something I didn't know they did not use a laugh track but their laughter from I Love Lucy was used for CBS (laughs) laugh tracks and he he said he used to get a kick out of hearing uh, Lucy's mom Dee Dee and himself and other people laughing uh 50 years later or 40 years later
1: <laughs> so i am glad that i'm glad that the laugh track has finally vanished
0: yeah yeah but yeah i love lucy didn't need it
1: no it didn't need it but i the, the sitcoms i grew up with certainly had them they were, they were used to fairly recently probably what and 15 years ago I think we probably maybe 20 years ago we finally started to see them diminish but it, it's uh, some shows can uh, I, I've seen some shows released without the laugh track I like them much better I can figure out when to laugh
0: yeah I can all by myself yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: yeah okay I, I, oh go ahead no I was going to say I, I don't need them to tell me when it's funny I can I can usually figure that out
0: was it? Mass, the first one, who didn't have a laugh track?
1: I think it was. I'm not sure if they didn't have a laugh track or they didn't use a laugh track in certain scenes.
0: I know they didn't use the laugh track during surgery. Yeah. Uh, but I think there were some episodes that they really didn't use it at all.
1: You you may be right. I'm, I'm not sure, but that, that sounds right. Perhaps some listener will know and send in a note to give us the actual actual information
0: yeah that's good Yeah, um, um, we are come to the point where we're going to talk about your book um, what's the ah. new book what's the name, what's it about all the good stuff
1: well it's almost finished so don't go looking for it in the bookstores yet hopefully in a month or two it's the second Lady Sherlock novel and this one is called Lady Sherlock, Night of the Lethal Liberator <laughs> and it's a continuation or, I guess, a, another adventure that's springboarded from the first book. And if you haven't read the first book, well, go buy it and read it.
0: It's a really good book. And uh, I'm And I'm still dying to read the second book because you, you gave us a cliffhanger.
1: Yes, and some of that cliffhanger is resolved, and there's more cliffhangers. And, I mean, it, it is, hopefully, will be a trilogy.
0: Oh, that's cool. And they're
1: all and and all of the stories are springboarded from real history, and then of course I go to town on it and stretch history six ways to Sunday. But they're all springboarded from real history, and this one takes place in nineteen eight. Cool. And the first book was nineteen oh six, and this one has to do with uh, the politics of the era and the technology of the era, because it's an era where technology is changing. I mean, uh, it's. It's shifting from the Sherlock Holmes gaslight era to electricity. There's more automobiles and trucks on the road. Man has learned to fly, and, and there's an airship in this. So it's still very much Edwardian, but it's, it's showing how the world is changing. And, of course, it's also the run-up to World War I. And we have Tasha, the heroine, who's exceedingly liberated, doesn't suffer fools gladly, brilliant physically capable and and again in over her head with danger and intrigue
0: and that's what makes it interesting
1: and 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 there's one little easter egg in the title because it's the night of the lethal liberator and that is a tribute to one of my favorite TV shows
0: lethal liberator
1: no the night of the Wild Wild every episode oh! of the Wild Wild West was The Night of or Night Of. And that was a show I adored. The Wild Wild West, and yeah. So as a as a little as a little thank you for those wonderful memories of the Wild Wild West, this is the night of the lethal liberator.
0: I had such a crush on Ross Martin. Ugh.
1: I got to meet him. He was a wonderful gentleman. Ugh. so tough. I I The
0: Wild I, Wild, Wild West he was just so great and so funny and yes. such a scene stealer um,
1: <laughs> which caused a little dissension between him and Robert Conrad because of course uh, ross martin was his acting was getting lots of cadus for all of those characters he played I
0: think that's, uh, I think that's interesting, but he, i mean Robert Conrad was a wonderful actor I'm not taking away from him, but I don't know was
1: under he was very underrated. Very underrated. He was very good.
0: Um, but Ross was really special. I just loved him. Yeah. That was, I, I have to admit, I watched it for both of them, but, mm-hmm. yeah, I kind of watched it for Ross.
1: When I was a kid, it's the first set I ever got to hang out on, so I have a special love for that show.
0: Um, My story is that the prop master was a friend of my dad, a bowling buddy of my dad so i used to go into his workshop when he would uh host a sunday barbecue um so we would see all the stuff that was coming for all his different shows and he kept all the stuff from wild west
1: yeah there's some remar- remarkable remarkable thing it was such a great show and sadly it was canceled early because it, there was a a crusade against violence and television, and because it was action-heavy, they said it was too violent, and that was one of the reasons it got axed.
0: That's sad. It's just—it was a fun show. It was silly in some places. It was. It was fun,
1: and that—that that iconic theme music by Richard Markowitz and the animation, and you know, very stylish.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah, and also the way. They always had the pictures frame at the beginning of the show.
1: Yeah, you'd have a freeze frame of one kind or another at the commercial break and then you'd fill in the you'd fill in the tapestry by the end of the episode.
0: Yeah, and all the different things were up there by the end, yeah. That was really cool. I yep. never I've never seen it again. It was only in the Wild West. I d I don't think I ever saw it on any other show.
1: I, I can't recall one either. Yeah, there were four four squares that originally would show the title animation, and then that would be replaced at each commercial break by a freeze frame from the episode. When whenever it was, whenever they, whatever was on camera when they were going to commercial, that would freeze, and and then at the end of at the end of the episode, you'd have all four of them filled in. A wonderful way to recall the episode.
0: It was a great show.
1: You, you know, the theme, uh, Richard Markowitz, who wrote the theme, never got credited for it in the show for contractual reasons, because they had originally hired the great Dmitri Tiamkin to write the theme, but they, they didn't think what he wrote really fit the show, so Markowitz, who was uh, composing the pilot episode music, composed the theme, but I guess for contractual reasons, he never, never got credit for it in the credits.
0: That sucks. It's a great theme. You should have gotten credit.
1: <laughs> well, I guess it had some, probably had something to do with the contract with Dimitri Tiamkin, who certainly also knew how to write Western themes. Oh yeah, and else. Yeah, but uh, Lady Sherlock, uh, you know, hopefully when it's all done and the publisher has got a release date, I can come back and we can talk a little more about the book. It's an illustrated novel again. I have uh, not only illustrations that are period montages and things that I've created but this time ten beautiful illustrations from Rick Hoberg a wonderful artist who I knew through animation and comic books so it'll be a loving, lovely illustrated book okay
0: and uh, do you think it'll be next year?
1: I believe so hopefully, hopefully not too far into next year we shall see um, I've got one more pass to do with my editor and then basically the book's done that's great. depending on her notes, you know, make whatever changes uh my editor, Sherry Goodhart, suggests and and then we're done. And it's just a matter of the business aspects of the book.
0: Um
1: the to spring finished.
0: And um are you are you doing any like classes? I mean you were I don't know if you're still doing that because of what happened. With yes, COVID. yes.
1: I didn't teach. I teach teach a uh, screenwriting class specializing in animation, but it's really just writing. Like 10% is specific to animation because that's really all you need. The rest of it is just good writing. I didn't do it during the pandemic, but I am scheduled to teach at the UCLA Extension School, again, starting in January. So after after a one-year break, I'm back.
0: Cool. And And it's... uh, and I
1: think it's called writing television animation at the UCLA Extension School, Brooks Walk Tell. So if anybody wants to sign up, there's probably some slots left and uh, it's a very well well received class. It's it's gotten very high marks and uh not just for animation, but for writing period of all kinds.
0: Cool. And do you have um anything coming up like um maybe online lectures or in-person lectures or uh, conventions or anything like that?
1: Not at the moment. Not at the moment. I, I mean, with with the pandemic going, I really pulled back. I needed a break. I'd been teaching. I'd been doing lots of podcasts. I'd been doing some lectures and conventions, and I just sort of needed to pull back. And I'm, you know, semi-retired now from film and TV I did. I did last year a couple of episodes of a friend's animation show, and also uh, wrote a documentary. Co-wrote a documentary feature with my, Cynthia Harrison, my partner from Dogfights, a documentary feature on the music industry, which uh, I think she's finishing up now. So, but but I'm slowing down. I really want to focus more on the books. I I'd been in television for over 35 years, and you know. It has has its upsides, it has its fun, but in the end it's work for hire, and one of the joys of doing my own books is it's my own little universe. I get to play with it the way I want, not the way an executive wants, and there's a lot to be said for that, and I did a lot of the other.
0: That's true. That's true, and you deserve it. Um, We're coming to the end. Uh, Could you give your website and any social media that you have?
1: You know, I don't have a website at the moment. I'm going to be doing a new one. There is a Lady Sherlock page uh, connected to me on Facebook. I'm going to be updating that very soon now with the new book finishing up. So you can go to the Lady Sherlock page. Um, There's also a Lady Sherlock blog. You can find that, Lady Sherlock Circle of the Smiling Dead. There's, There's several Lady Sherlock series out there unconnected to me. So just link it with my name and you'll come to the right place. But website, going to be redoing that, so it's not quite ready yet.
0: Okay. Um, Brooks, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come on my show. I really appreciate it.
1: Anytime. Always enjoy our chats, and uh, have a great holiday season, and hopefully we'll be doing this again.
0: Thank you. You have a great holiday season, too. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. You, too. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.